meet three sisters. Now meet their brothers. Greg's the leader and the good man for the job. There's another boy by the name of Peter. The youngest one is Bob. See our sisters, they're all quite pretty. First there's Marsha with her eyes are sparkling blue. Then there's Jen, the middle one, who's really groovy. And sister Cindy, too. Let's get set now for action and adventure. As we see things we never saw before. We'll meet Bob Top and Ping and Pong, the pandas. And Marlin, who has voices by the score. The Brady Kids, the Brady Kids. everybody, welcome to episode 89 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and I know it's been about a month since you guys have heard from me, but in this episode, I'm going to talk about an episode of The Brady Kids, which featured Superman, titled Cindy's Super Friend. And uh, I know you guys haven't heard from me in about a month. In that time, I have been preparing for the next leg of the podcast, which will be my coverage of Super Friends, the wildly popular cartoon of the 70s and 80s, which sparked the fandom in many people of my uh, of my generation. And that is something I am immensely looking forward to, more so than I was to the Filmation cartoons. And another reason for the break is just to charge my batteries a little bit and, uh, you know, get me a little more enthused for the podcast going forward. I'm sure you guys heard it in some of my later Filmation episodes that maybe it sounded like I was getting a little bit bored with the content of uh, that I was covering. And also, toward the end, I was just exhausted and getting sick toward the end. And specifically, episode 87. Oh, my God. I listened back to that. I sounded drunk. So, my goal is to not have to record when sick or exhausted. So, these breaks, you know, kind of help that. The weekly schedule can be gr- can be grueling. And the only way to stay ahead of the game is to take breaks every now and then. And that's something I'm going to continue through the run of the podcast. The, the break was mainly as far as release goes. I maybe took a week off before I started producing episodes again, so I hope to be well ahead of the game when I come back next month in March. Before I get to the content of this week's episode, I have some feedback to address from the usual friend of the show, Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on episode 80. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. This was quite a good set of segments, with Superman and Superboy using their brains more than their muscles in several of the stories, which, as you said, is always good to see. I always like to see Luthor and Brainiac, and it's a treat to see them together in the same story, joined by the Warlock in Ape Strikes Again. It's such a Silver Age thing for bad guys to call themselves allied perpetrators of evil. Back then, bad guys were quite self-aware that they were, in fact, evil, which is pretty simplistic compared to the more modern characterizations, but still fun, especially for kids. Just want to stick Dave on pause for a minute. Yeah, you know, even though modern storytelling tends to favor more complex villains, you know, that see themselves as the hero of their own story. I do like villains that are aware of how evil they are. You know, it just, it makes the threat seem that much greater. And, you know, despite characterization, sometimes, you know, a villain's got a villain. So, back to Dave. The Lethal Lightning Bug was a pretty standard story for its time, but I loved hearing you refer to Chekhov's Railroad Track. Nice literary allusion there. And it was good, too, to see the respect and deference even the authorities had for Superman in those days. Let's take Dave on pause again, uh... What Dave is referring to, for those of you who don't remember episode 80 way back uh, when that dropped, what I referred to was Chekhov's railroad track was a broken railroad track we saw at the beginning of the episode that factored into the climax of the episode when Superman used it to 
drained the lightning bug of its electrical charge. It was one of the better written episodes of the, of the Filmation cartoons that I recall. Even though the concept was a little bit silly of a, with an electrified giant lightning bug, I did like the way that episode was written and cleverly animated. I love that the animation actually showed the railroad track to give us the indication that that we might see it again toward the episode's climax. So back to Dave's letter. In the Superboy segment, I certainly hope, as he promised Crypto in The Beast with Two Faces, that he did bring Crypto to visit his space dragon playmate sometime, even if we don't get to see it on screen. I like to think he did, because what boy wouldn't love to make sure that his beloved dog gets to go have fun? I also enjoyed the Gorilla Gang for its look at Superboy using his brains to defeat the crooks while remaining in the guise of Clark Kent. Thanks for the ongoing fun this podcast brings me every week. Live long and prosper. Dave. Alright, I'd like to uh, thank Dave for his feedback. As always, I really don't have anything else to add other than what I've added. So, at this point, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. Then I'm going to come back and talk a little bit about the Brady Kids cartoon. Hang around, folks. In the Great Hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes. Created from the cosmic legends of the universe, Superman. Always a pleasure to be of service to the law. Wonder Woman. Finished. Now let's bring the world back to normal. Batman. Well, Professor Baffles has evidently lost his baffling power. Aquaman. The jet nozzle is buried in the sea bottom. The jet stream is stopped. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission, to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Join Mike Sumo on the Man of Screen Podcast as coverage of Super Friends and its many incarnations begins in March at Alright, welcome back folks. In this first segment here, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Brady Kids cartoon. The Brady Kids was a 30-minute Saturday morning animated series, and it was basically a spin-off of ABC's live action The Brady Bunch, which ran for about four seasons, I believe. Four or five. This particular cartoon aired on ABC from September 9th, 1972 until October 6th, 1973, so it didn't have a particularly long run, and I think it only had about 13 or 14 episodes total. I mean, I haven't watched any of these episodes beyond the one that I covered. I'm not really that much of a Brady Bunch fan, so I don't know if the quality or lack thereof in in this episode that I'm going to talk about is indicative of the series, but it is common 1970s cartoon fare for children. It did spin off another filmation series, Mission Magic, which starred rock star Rick Springfield. And the series was overall distributed by CBS Television Distribution. Now, the original Brady Bunch's six children, uh, Mike Lookinland as Bobby Brady, Susan Olsen as Cindy Brady, Eve Plum as Jan Brady, Christopher Knight as Peter Brady, Maureen McCormick as Marsha Brady, and uh, Barry Williams as Greg Brady. They uh, reprised their role for the first season, 17 episodes, actually I want to correct my earlier statement. Uh, I said it was about 15 episodes. The episode total went a total of 22 episodes. Only three of the Brady Bunch cast members, uh, Lookin' Land, uh, Olsen, and Plum, actually lent their voices to all 22 episodes. Knight, McCormick, and Williams only did 17 with 
somebody else uh, filling in for the remaining five of season two. Two two of the names listed, the name listed for Marsha Brady on IMDb.com. Erica Scheimer is Marsha, and Lane Scheimer was Greg, probably related to Filmation head Lou Scheimer. And Keith Sutherland, who I know nothing about, played the role of Peter Brady in season two. But I'm not going to be talking about any season two. <clears throat> You're going to hear all of the original Brady Bunch cast members in the episode that I'm talking about, and I'll have some clips throughout so you'll hear those voices. So, as the series title implies, the parents and Alice the housekeeper, who was the favorite character of mine, Alice was, they were omitted from the show. At the end of the first season, Filmation asked the kids to continue on with their existing contracts for another five episodes. The kids originally said no, brought it on by their agent, Harvey Schatz, and Filmation actually threatened to sue the children over breach of contract and to continue the show... Uh, Without their voices, like I said, Look and Lynn, Plum, and Olsen agreed to extend, while Williams, Knight, and McCormick did not. And the this animated series also added some animal characters, because what children's cartoon isn't complete without animal characters? Marlin was voiced by Larry Storch. For those of you who uh, watched TV in the 60s, or even watched Nick at Night in the late 80s and maybe even early 90s, Larry Storch was a regular character of Corporal Randolph Agarn on F Troop, which was a favorite uh Classic TV show of mine. I really enjoyed that when I watched it on Nick at Night. I haven't watched that in forever. I'd kill just to watch an episode or two. I'll have to look into that. But he also did a few episodes of Get Smart as a Russian character, I want to say. I don't remember the name off the top of my head. Larry Storch, though, very uh, good character actor of that time. He played Marlin, who was an intelligent red-talking bird, and also a wizard who used his magic to help the kids get out of trouble. Marlin also was notable for his method of flight as he spun his... Tail feathers like a helicopter rotor, rather than using his wings like a normal bird would. Apparently his wings were used as hands. And if you actually watch this episode, you would see that. And his hands are basically used for casting spells. The Brady's dog from the live-action series, Tiger, was replaced by a dog named Mop Top, also voiced by Larry Storch. And there are also two twin panda cubs, because panda cubs are cute, and they'll factor into, the, into this particular episode that I'm talking about. They're Ping and Pong, which are voiced by... Uh, Jane Webb, and if you think those names have something to do with ping pong, you would be correct. And the panda's only spoken gibberish, so, you know, may sound Chinese, but it's basically nonsense. And there were three human characters created for the show. Chuck White was also played by Storch, so Larry Storch was very busy during the 22 episodes of the show. He was a boastful, self-absorbed teenager about Greg's age, who was not above cheating to get whatever he wanted. Fleetwood, also played by Storch, was his easygoing sidekick, and rounding out the trio was Babs. Voiced by Webb, somebody actually other than Storch. And she was a cute redhead who was smitten with Greg. Three of them went to the same school as the Brady's, and Chuck was sometimes central to the plot as an antagonist. I don't recall offhand if any of these characters appeared in this episode, as this episode mainly focused on interactions between uh, the Brady kids and uh, Clark Kent and Lois Lane and uh, Superman. So apparently uh, Schwartz originally intended to hand off full editorial control to Shimer and Prescott, who were dealing with filmation, he eventually returned to become an active part of production. He even reviewed scripts and advising on creative input. An enormous amount of animation for this series was copied over from the Archie show, also produced by Filmation, because if Filmation is known for anything, it's for cheap animation and reusing old animation from its other shows, and, you know, anything Filmation could do to cut a corner and save some cash, they did. Walk cycles, profile pictures, and scenes where the Brady kids play in a band are all frame-by-frame replacements for loop frames from the Archies. And many of Mop Top's poses were copied from Archie's character Hot Dog. So, if you've seen the Archie show as well, you'll probably see a lot of familiar stuff here. And Fleetwood's poses and walk cycles were often copied from Rudy of Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. 
This show was originally aired as a one-hour segment on the ABC Saturday Superstar movie. The pilot episode was split into two half-hour segments on The Brady Kids. Season 1 aired on Saturday mornings from 10.30 to 11 a.m. And Season 2 aired Saturday mornings from 11.30 to 11.30 a.m. Basically, the only reason Season 2 was created was to bring the total episode count to 22, which would be the minimum for syndication. And apparently this was something that was common in most uh, 70s-era Saturday morning cartoon series that the Brady Kids can contain an adult laugh track, which is also something you'd encounter on sitcoms of the time. I really don't watch too many sitcoms nowadays. Do they have a laugh track? I think they do. The only sitcom I ever I really watch with any regularity is The Big Bang Theory and when it's a, when there are new episodes available on Netflix, Fuller House. Whether or not they have laugh tracks and other audience-like sound effects, I don't know. I don't actually pay attention to that anymore. Maybe I should. So the opening sequence uh, featured the... Uh, four-season grid familiar to the Brady Bunch viewers, without the center column that was occupied by the adults. And near the end of the theme song, Marlon flies up and down the center, transforming the live-action children into their animated counterparts. That's that. that. That's pretty much all the information I've got on the Brady Kids cartoon. So at this point, I'm going to take a podcast promo break, and I'm going to come back with my coverage of Cindy's Super Friend. Hang around, folks. everybody, Magnus here. At Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But mostly it's comics. And starting in February 2018, I'm launching a mega-series that's all about Batman comics. And right now, you're probably saying, but Magnus, but Magnus, does this have anything to do with that new Batman movie that may or may not be coming soon? Why, yes. Yes, it does. I plan to talk about a crapload of Batman comics, and I want you riding along in the Batmobile with me. This is The Caped Crusades, a 24-part mega-series all about Batman comics that have meant a lot to me for a lot of years now. And as I work through all of that, I'll also talk about what I personally consider to be Batman's series finale. All that and more is part of The Caped Crusades, a 24-part Trennis Magnus Punches Reality mega-series. Be there in February 2018. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality can be found at twotruefreaks.com as well as iTunes. Alright, welcome back folks. We're going to head into this episode of The Brady Kids, Cindy's Super Friend. Original broadcast date was October 7th, 1972. And our synopsis is brought to you by the Big Cartoon Database. And it is as follows. Cindy meets mild-mannered Clark Kent and the Brady Kids are teamed with him to paint a bank during the city's paint-up week. The wily Talus Latrick and his henchman Igor substitute delayed action and visible paint so that when the bank becomes invisible, they can rob it. Little do they realize that Clark Kent can change into Superman 
anytime he can find a telephone booth, and Superman has to save the day. Okay, not much uh, to the uh, synopsis there. I'm just going to lay it out on the line. When I watched this, I fully expected to hate it. I mean, I was never a fan of the Brady Bunch, and I figured this episode would be absolutely stupid. And it is. But I was surprised to find myself enjoying it as I would enjoy any parody. This is not a straight-laced adventure of Superman. And while the show doesn't necessarily make fun of Superman, per se, it does lampoon some of the Superman tropes, as we're going to see. Especially uh, Clark Kent changing into Superman in a phone booth. You're going to see a lot of hilarity with Superman in a phone booth. You know, it also have some fun with the trope of Superman trying to get away from people, and of course, Lois Lane uh, trying to figure out Clark and Superman. All of those tropes are parodied and in this episode, and it's not any malicious or anything, it's all good-natured, you know. And I honestly, I had a lot of fun watching this, as much as I'd hate to admit that. I mean, I don't know if I would consider this good, but you know what, for 20 minutes or However long it took me to watch this, probably a little bit longer than that as I took notes and paused it a couple times, went back to see a few other things. It's no Super Pup, I'll say that. When I put it on the Facebook page that I was watching this, uh, I think it was Gord Tolton who said something about Super Pup. And no, this was no Super Pup. Now, I can't see myself actually choosing to watch this again, but if I came across this somewhere, somehow, and saw it, I'd probably watch it for the 20 or so minutes that it's on. I don't predict that ever happening, but... Whatever it is, it is what it is. It's not as bad as I thought it would be. Let's just say that and move on. And it has a funny moments. So it starts with uh, the Brady kids reading a proclamation for the mayor. It's about the uh, paint up week that we mentioned. I mentioned in the uh, synopsis. And the first thing that jumped out at me is the laugh track. So this is definitely based on kind of a sitcom type format, which is fine. I believe that's what the Brady Bunch was. And why should a show based on that be any different? Then I meet the Flying Bird Marlin. I really don't necessarily recognize Larry Storch's voice, but the talent of a good voice actor is that I don't recognize his voice in animated stuff. So then we meet Mop Top the Dog, and the kids learn about uh, Paint Up Week, and uh, Cindy is uh, walking away from the kids. I'm not sure where she's going. It doesn't necessarily matter where she's going, but she's walking down the sidewalk. A very tall man in glasses and a blue business suit skids to a stop in front of her. And he's looking for a phone booth. Who cares about proclamations anyway? I'd rather do my own painting. Pardon me, little girl. Do you know where there's a phone booth? It's very important. Yes, sir. There's a phone booth down by the supermarket. Thank you, little girl. That man dropped his wallet. And, uh, and yes, this is Clark Kent. I couldn't find any information on who was voicing Clark Kent. It is not Bud Collier. Joan Alexander will not be voicing Lois Lane in this episode, so there is that loss. But the people who portrayed Lois and Clark did well enough. The actor who played Clark didn't necessarily distinguish Clark and Superman in his voice very much. Bud Collier had a very distinct Clark and Superman voice, but... The actor who did Superman did not, but, you know, they were serviceable for this one episode. So Clark actually asks uh, where Cindy, where the nearest phone booth is, and then he uh, dropped his wallet. Now, I know nothing about the Brady Bunch, I'll be honest. I couldn't even tell you what their hometown was. Maybe somebody can tell me. But I know it's not Metropolis. 
So why Clark Kent would necessarily be roaming around whatever town the Brady Bunch lives, I don't know. And apparently he has an office close enough to uh, their town. Maybe he and Lois are working at a satellite office for the day or something. I don't know. So Mop Top, the dog, uh, picks up the wallet and uh, is bringing it back to Clark, who was directed to a phone booth by the supermarket by Cindy. And the next shot we see is Superman uh, taking off his, his suit, shirt, and jacket and flying out of the phone booth. And the look of shock on the dog's face is priceless as he sees Superman fly away. Mop Top goes back to Cindy, and it's rather humorous seeing this fluffy dog try to imitate a shirt rip and flying away. And apparently, Cindy interprets this as somebody going to the airport without a shirt on. Which, hey, it's the 70s. I don't know. I wasn't here yet in the 70s. I don't necessarily know what went on then. But <laughs> that's how... Cindy interpreted the dog uh, imitating a Superman shirt rip and the dog trying to somehow illustrate that Superman was flying. Okay, we're going to see the parody is on immediately. We've already lampooned the Superman trope of changing in the phone booth and that goes back to the early days of Superman in the comics and uh, especially in the Fleischer cartoons. He did most of his changes in a phone booth there, as I recall. And the next scene, we see the uh, Professor Latrick and his assistant Igor and uh, Latrick says... When he, sees, when he sees the ad for the paint-up week, he says, Great Galileo's Ghost, which is a riff on Great Caesar's Ghost, made famous by Perry White in The Adventures of Superman. So they come up with a plan to make the bank invisible, and we move on from there. And Clark Kent is on the news now, and I believe at this point in 1972, and I'm assuming this was produced in 1972, that Clark was working at WGBS and not the Daily Planet. I'm not sure if the writers of this episode knew that, but, but it's very possible that they needed Clark to work at the TV news just out of necessity for the story. Because that's the only way Cindy can recognize him as the person who dropped the wallet on the sidewalk. And now, the Clark Kent News Show. Good afternoon. This is Clark Kent, and here's the news. The town council today approved plans to appoint it's a It's too bad we can't get Clark Kent to mention it on his news show. Mom, Top, will you stop clowning around? We have a problem. That's the man with the wallet. Wallet? What are you talking about, Cindy? Oh, uh, nothing. I have an idea. So now we are on to the office, and we've got a parade of animals marching through Clark's office, and he thinks he's delusional. What's the matter, Lois? Don't you feel well? I did, until... Until what? Maybe you'd better see for yourself. Will you come in, please? suffering from the same thing Lois is suffering from. But that's impossible. Hi, Mr. Kent. I'm Cindy Brady. I brought your wallet back to you, Mr. Kent. You're the little girl I met on the street today. Strange. She doesn't seem to notice the animals. Do you see... How do I put this? Do you see a bird wearing a hat, two pandas, and a dog playing peekaboo in this office? Sure, that's Marlin, Mop Top, and Ping and Pong. That makes me feel better. But I don't know why. Why is Mop Top covering his eyes? It's almost as if he's seen something he doesn't want to see again. Hmm. He's been acting very strange ever since he ran after you to the phone booth this morning, Mr. Kent. I wonder what Mop Top saw in that phone booth, Clark. Still the same old suspicions, huh, Lois? One of these days I'm going to find out, Clark. Lois is suspicious enough, and uh, after they acknowledge that they... Uh, have both that they're both seeing uh, the pandas and Mop Top and the bird. 
Lois is suspicious enough, but wonder what Mop Top saw in the phone booth. Again, this is a play on Lois always trying to determine Clark to be Superman. So, uh, Clark and Lois are going to participate in Paint Week because they're going to be good citizens, and in exchange for helping them out, the Brady kids are going to perform live on the Clark Kent News Show. So, Mop Top emulates Clark flying, and Lois deciphers it as Clark flying it. Look! It's Cindy! And I want to thank Mr. Kemp for letting me talk about Paint Week. I'm glad to help with such a worthy project, Cindy. Lois Lane and I will be there pitching in like good citizens. And perhaps you and your brothers and sisters can return the favor and sing for us sometime. Wow! How did Cindy manage that? I don't know, but Mop Top's not doing so bad either. <laughs> Mop Top, what are you doing? It looks to me like he's trying to say something about Clark flying. Lois is right. Mop Top must have seen me changing into Superman. Oh, nonsense, Lois. He probably just has fleas. We just gave him a bath yesterday. Well, well, kid, fleas can come very quickly, and they're a damn pain to get rid of. So I will say this, despite the copying most of the animation from the Archie cartoons, looks a lot better than, than some of the Superman stuff did. Just want to say that right there. And it's also a good thing that this was created five years before Star Wars hit, because if you look at Greg's vest and white shirt, he looks an awful lot like Han Solo. So a lot of the interactions between Clark and Cindy are played strictly for laughs. And this one scene, Clark makes a show of needing his painting glasses. He does a, do a bit of stammering, and I do enjoy Clark's inner monologue, which is kind of reminiscent of a comic book, of the Thought Bubbles, which are all but extinct in comics nowadays. Boy, this sure is a big building, Mr. Kent. How are we going to paint the top of it? Oh, I think Superman will give us a hand with that, Cindy. Oh, uh, that reminds me. I seem to have left my glasses in my car. No, you didn't. You're wearing them. Uh, I mean, my painting glasses. I'll go get them, Mr. Kent. No, I mean, I'll get them. You stay here and, uh, watch the paint. Nobody will take the paint. I'll come with you. I've never had such a hard time trying to get away to change into Superman. Uh, it'll be faster if I go myself. Okay, Mr. Kent. You know, he comments with regard to Cindy that he never had so much trouble getting away from someone. And I beg to differ on that. I watched all 104 episodes of the George Reeves Adventures of Superman show. There was always somebody tagging around with him when he didn't want it. And he always had plenty of trouble getting away from people. I mean, he would be able to do it when he had to, but some of those episodes could have been resolved and had the time if he could just find a way to not have somebody tag along with him on whatever it is he's doing. So Igor and the professor switched to paint. The normal paint the kids are using with the invisibility paint that they've created. The mayor <laughs> walked by, noticed the uh, paint cans in a dress shop, and just kind of thought nothing of it. He's not the smartest uh, mayor that's ever lived, but you know what? He's funny looking, so that works in the children's cartoon. So now here's some fun with the phone booth. What's the matter, Clark? Are you warm? Oh, uh, I was uh, looking for some change to uh, call the office. You carry your change inside your shirt? No, uh, Lois, there was just something I wanted to get off my chest. <laughs> that was a terrible joke, Clark. Yes, uh, it was, wasn't it? You wouldn't have a dime, would you, Lois? No, I haven't. I'll have to go get some change, I guess. See you later, Lois. So it is nice to see uh, Lois calling him out on that, because... Clark does make some, throughout the history of Superman, makes some bad jokes and lame excuses in his attempt to get away. So, 
Clark walks off to another phone booth. Apparently, the episode is implying that he can only change in a phone booth. Kind of like that old uh, NES Superman game where you could play as either Superman or Clark Kent, but you could only change in a phone booth. You couldn't, say, duck down an alley. Which, actually, he does try later in this episode. I'll get to that in a minute. So Clark has a bit of uh, phone booth trouble as Bobby catches him in a, in a phone booth trying to change. Oh, hi, Mr. Kent. Do you always take your shirt off when you make a phone call? Why do they have to make phone booths out of glass? Uh, no, Bobby, there was just something I wanted to get off my chest. <laughs> that was a terrible joke, Mr. Kent. Seems to me I've been through this before. And he also deploys the getting something off his chest joke, and Bobby thinks it's just as terrible as Lois does. And if you take this as straight parody, it's actually pretty funny. And I think after this exchange is when I realized that I didn't hate this as much as I thought I would. really don't hate it at all. Like I said, I had a lot of fun watching this. So eventually, uh, Superman does arrive after the kids do their version of It's a Bird at the Planet Superman. What's that up there? It's a bird. It's a bird? It's a plane. It's Superman. Wow, Superman, I sure want to thank you for coming. I'm glad to be here, Greg, to help in any way that I can. What if I just help Cindy here to paint the bank? Oh, Mr. Kent's going to help me as soon as he comes back. We'll both help you, Cindy. With the help of my super speed, I should be able to give Lois some food for thought. Let's get to the bank. Now, before they have time to blink, I'll use my super speed to produce Clark Kent. Superman scoops up Cindy and he talks to her and it's painfully obvious that this is not the voice of Bud Collier. I mean, not only did I recently watch all the Filmation cartoons, but I, I've i been listening uh, over the past uh, well, year or so, I guess, to the old-time radio Superman show, which plays the old radio show, and I've been really enjoying Bud Collier's performance there. He was sorely missed here, but... So, in classic Silver Age fashion, Clark Superman is going to give Lois food for thought to in her quest to prove that he's Superman. At super speed, Superman molds a mud Clark Kent that's kind of humorous, seeing Cindy sit on air as <clears throat> Superman does this. Apparently, he moves so quickly that no one actually knew he moved. So, Superman, with the help of the mud Clark, painted the bank. When Superman lands, Clark is still sitting down. Superman holds him. And apparently, some super ventriloquism was used to make the... Uh, quote-unquote, dummy Clark talk. I mean, you wouldn't be surprised that an episode that parodies some of the tropes of Superman would actually employ his dumbest power of super ventriloquism. So eventually the uh, bank disappears, and I'm not sure who was fooled by these two money cases that are floating through the air, but nobody sees them as they walk into the Invisible Bank. At this point, Superman has left, uh, and the only excuse Clark could come up with is that Superman left the solar system and that he'll be back within the hour. I mean, he couldn't just say, like, a volcano was exploding in Hawaii or something. He had to say he left the solar system. You know, just a quick jaunt to Alpha Centauri and back. Clark needs to work on his excuses, don't you think? So, as the kids paint, everything kind of disappears. And first, and here we go again, back to Clark and having more phone booth trouble. First, there's a woman on the phone. Then a guy in another. And then, you know, he finally tries something different. He goes into an alley. Nope, can't change the area there. There's a garbage man. So, having absolute all kinds of trouble finding somewhere to change the Superman. He decides to try the Brady's treehouse, the Brady kid's treehouse, but Cindy follows him there. Oh, and just so you know, eventually, this is the point where the kids discover that the uh, Professor Latrick put a fake label over the paint that says invisibility. So there you go, Professor, leaving evidence where police can uh, find it, you know, 
it's becoming a trope of cartoons in the 70s and even the early 80s that given the opportunity, these villains will beat themselves. So back at the uh, Brady Treehouse, uh, Clark is changing into Superman. You know, it's not a bad shirt rip and almost looks like it could have come out of one of the uh, old Filmation cartoons. But uh, Clark is suddenly downed by Jan's rock collection. And apparently she collects kryptonite because, you know, why not? Let's throw one more Superman trope in there while we're at it. So, meanwhile, Clark is dying in the kid's treehouse with his shirt half open and his Superman costume hanging out. Have to get rid of that green kryptonite. Mr. Kent, what's wrong? Cindy, the rock collection. You mean this? Take it out of here. Are you all right, Mr. Kent? I'm feeling better. I'm uh, allergic to snowflake obsidian. I think I'll just grab a few winks of sleep. Then I'll see you back at the park. Sure, Mr. Kent. Cindy comes in, takes the rocks away, and apparently doesn't notice the big red S that's exposed on Clark's chest. Nope. Clark tells her to take the rocks out. She does, no questions asked. And as he gets up, he tells her he's allergic to snowflake obsidian, and he tells her he's going to take a nap. And I wonder if he's going to take a nap right here in the kid's treehouse. Yeah. Strange man just taking a nap in some kid's treehouse. Rattle that one in your brain just for a minute. See where it takes you. I got news for you. It's not going to take you anywhere good. I'll tell you that much. So Cindy leaves and Clark turns to Superman. And at this point, the Brady kids have exposed the criminals by dumping paint on them. This gives Superman a chance to catch the crooks. And they're going to uh, repay Clark by having the Brady kids play on his show. And this ends with... The Brady Kids are uh, playing a song, and I really don't have anything to say about that. We're getting toward the end of the Superman portion of this episode. That's really all I care about. So this episode ends with Clark changing to Superman in the storeroom, and Mop Top is pointing towards Superman as he's flying away. So, like I said, I had fun wa- watching that, more so than I thought I would. And if you're so inclined, check it out. It might amuse you. You know, it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was. I don't think it's something I would seek out to watch again, but, you know, like I said, for the time that I watched it, I had a good time watching it. So, next time, another Big Legolas podcast coming up, a lot of episodes, a lot of seasons, a lot of different incarnations of the show, but next time, when weekly coverage returns in March, I will begin my coverage of Super Friends, beginning with The Power Pirate and Professor Goodfellow's Geek, G-E-E-C. Until then... Feedback is always welcome, manofscreen at gmail.com. You can also join the conversation over at the Facebook group. Just put Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. So, till next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Jumo. And all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com 
and you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.